Hi there. You are listening to a message recorded by High Point Life. To listen to more messages and to find out more about our church, head over to our website at highpointlife.com. Good morning, church. That's the way. High Point Life. Now this whole month we've been looking at greater things. You know, one of the things as I was growing up and we shared the gospel with friends in school is this, that we, we ask them this simple question. Do you have purpose and meaning in life? And I think that's the one thing that Christians talk about when we share the gospel. Why people are seeking for something more is because they feel that their lives are purposeless. And so they find their meaning and their purpose when they have an encounter with Jesus. I did. I believe this is what we all were looking for. That's why we came to Jesus. That's why we came to the foot of the cross. That is why we opened our hearts and told Jesus, come in. I'm giving up my old lifestyle, come in. But you know what has happened? As I talk to non-Christians and I see this, some of them are seeking because they are empty inside, looking for purpose and meaning. I talk to Christians who come to church, who sing, who raise their hands and all of that. And as I talk to them, I come to realize that Christians are often just as purposeless. I don't know how you feel about that. Is that an unfair statement? I don't think it is. We know the Lord is with us and we, 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 we love the fact that He came to save us and we are saved now. All that, yes. But we still largely live purposeless lives. So this morning... As we look at the screen, set for greater things, I want you to tell yourself, this is possible for me. And the Bible says that Jesus gives us new clothing. He clothes us anew. And we we are different now. But we don't know better. We still hang out with the same people, think the same way, do the same old things not realizing that we have been wired for greater things. I want us to take a look at two people in the Scriptures this morning. All right? We're going to turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. We normally talk about the second person, but we don't talk about the first. The first king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now, it's a long passage, so I'm not going to read everything. I'm going to just piece verses together so that it makes sense. Okay? We're going to read from verse 15. The day before, the Lord had already told Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Appoint him to lead my people Israel. When Samuel first saw Saul, the Lord said to Samuel, this is the man I told you about. By the way, Samuel is the prophet. Okay? And God had told him that he would raise a king. Israel. And so the Lord told Samuel, this is the man I told you about. Verse 18. 
So Saul approached Samuel at the gate. Saul was looking for the man of God. <coughs> so he was told it was Samuel. So he approached Samuel at the gate. And then verse 19, Samuel answered, Go with me to the place of worship. Today you and your servant are to eat with me. Tomorrow morning I will answer all your questions and send you home. Soon all the wealth of Israel will belong to you and your family. Verse 21, Saul answered, but, but, but I am from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And, um, and my family group is the smallest in the tribe of Benjamin. Why are you saying these things? And then we go to chapter 10. Samuel took a jar of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head. He kissed Paul and said, The Lord has appointed you to lead. His people. Verse 2. And then Paul gives a whole lot of, uh, Samuel gives a whole lot of instructions. All right. He says, after, but basically, after you leave me today, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you with power. You will prophesy and you will be changed into a different man. After these signs happen, do whatever you find to do because God will help you. Verse 9. When Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. All these signs came true that day. Verse 17. Now Samuel goes into the city and Samuel called all the people. Verse 18. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Verse 19. But now you have rejected your God. He saves you from all your troubles and problems. But you said, no, we want a king to rule over us. Now come. Stand before the Lord in your tribes and family groups. And then they brought Saul. And he stands Saul before them. And verse 23, when Saul stood among the people, he was a head taller than anyone else. And Samuel said to the people, See the man the Lord has chosen. There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, Long, long live the king. History of Israel. They were God's own people. They had no king because God was their king. God had prophets, judges to lead them. But they looked at the nations around them and they said, every nation had a king. Why must we be different? We want to be like them. And so they kept asking and demanding that, that they would choose a king. Finally, God relented. It wasn't God's first choice. God relented. And God says, okay, these people have rejected me as their king. They want a man to be a king. They can have what they want. And so, the choice of a king was made. It was Saul. He was chosen because at that time he was a good man but also because he was physically attractive. He was a head taller than everyone else. And the Bible says he was good looking. And Saul brought him up before everybody. And because of his size and his height and his looks, he was impressive. And people immediately took to him. And Saul was declared king. And the people together decreed, long live the king. 
first king of Israel, historical. But how did that pan out? Let me tell you this. There are three things about Saul, the way his life went, although he was chosen. He had great potential. Next slide. But it was wasted potential. He was a good man, but it was wasted potential. He never lived up to his potential. Church, I know that things have been spoken to many of us. Some things even your own pastors have said to you, or your church members have said to you, or your office colleagues have said to you. In every one of us, there is potential. Potential for great things. You may not feel it. You may not have seen it, but it's there. God has, God has put that value into you. A potential is just that. Potential is not greatness. And you will only find purpose and meaning if, you, if your potential is tapped. If not, it would be wasted potential. Like Saul. He could have been a great king. He ended badly. Really badly. In fact, it ended with him not only losing a battle, but he took his own life. Because he didn't want to be humiliated. He took his own life. He fell on his own sword. Wasted potential. A man who knew God, that God had chosen, and God had instructed the prophet to appoint and to declare. Wasted potential. Do you feel that way this morning? That plenty has been, there was a lot of hope placed on me when I was growing up. Now I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 60s, I'm in my 40s. Never lived up to that promise. And you feel like, now all I need to do is jug up my health. As long as I'm healthy, as long as I have enough to eat, I can't complain. Listen, it's nothing to do with whether you can complain or not. It has everything to do with whether you are living the life that God has appointed you to live. To me, wasted potential is a tragedy. Wasted potential is tragic. Second thing about King Saul, it was, wasn't just wasted potential, it was weakened position. He was the first king and everybody was looking up to him. But as the years went on, his position started to weaken. People began to see that he wasn't living up to the promise. And people began to look at another young man at a young man that was coming up, David. And people were hoping that this young man may one day 
become our king. And so when they went for battle and although Saul was a good warrior, he would come back and people would sing songs in the streets and Saul would just take it all in. And they would say, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul was happy. Oh, they're singing about me. But David has killed his ten thousands. And then Saul became, he became upset. And he began to brood. How come they sing about David this way? Sing about me, ten. Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. He got upset, began to brood, began to plot. I need to take David out. I need to kill this, this fellow. He's threatening my position. And he began this pursuit after the man that God had already appointed to be next in line. Meaning to say, we don't think of it, we only think that he was protecting his position. Yes, he was protecting, as far as Saul was concerned, I need to protect my interests. So he was protecting his position when he went after David. But because God had appointed David, in reality, Saul had opposed, had put himself in a position, in op opposition to what God is doing. And that's, the outcome of such a thing is never good, okay? Alright? The outcome of being in opposition to God doesn't turn out well for you. That's what happened to Saul. And his position began to weaken. He began to have, he began to be troubled by evil spirits. He became moody. He became this horrible, ill-tempered, Man that people were afraid of. Number three. It was not just wasted potential. It wasn't just weakened position. But it was, he also experienced a withdrawn presence. The presence of God withdrew from him. God's presence left him. You know when he was anointed by Samuel. Samuel poured oil on his head. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come and empower somebody for a job. And in, in this case, the ministry, the appointment was to be king. But God's spirit left him. God's presence was withdrawn. And Saul began to become desperate because he, his life had no purpose, no meaning, and he even went to consult a witch. Something that is an abomination. When we pursue things that are not of God, when we open our lives to just protect our own interests at any price, we can open ourselves to the enemy and to demonic influence. And we can be in opposition to God. And you know what the Bible says? That God, what does God do with the humble? And what does he do with the proud? He opposes. He opposes. Saul became a proud man. I am king. This is my domain. This is my kingdom. These are my people. This is my wealth. How dare this young man come up 
to try and take this away from me. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Saul discovered that it is always the losing side when God opposes you. Always. You never get to win when God opposes you. It may not seem like it. He was still king. He was still rich. You can have what you want, but you would never get contentment. You would never find fulfillment. You will never find purpose and meaning. Your bank account may be full. Yeah, better than it has ever been before. But you, your heart would still be empty. Saul. Wasted potential, weakened position, withdrawn presence. We move to chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you continue to feel sorry for Saul? Samuel must have been a, quite a man. He had seen Saul and he, he was disappointed with Saul. He was upset with Saul and all of that. In fact, he had already uh, you know, openly rebuked Saul. But he also felt sorry for the man. And the Lord says, how long? How long are you going to continue to feel sorry for Saul? I have rejected him as king of Israel. Fill your container with olive oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse who lives in Bethlehem because I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, Lord, if I go, Saul will hear the news and will try to kill me. Can you see what kind of man Saul had become? All right? This was the prophet of God. But Saul had already set himself to oppose God already. Verse 12. So Samuel, in obedience, he went. So verse 12 says, he, is, anyway, he went to Jesse's house and he told Jesse, bring out all your sons. And so Jesse brings out his sons. The first son, handsome man. Tall, handsome. And Samuel thought in his heart, this has to be the one. But God says, no, not the one. Second one, not the one. And so one by one. And God said something very interesting. I, these are not the ones because man looks on the outside. But God looks on the inside. Now, the first king, Saul, was chosen because of what people saw on the outside. One head taller, handsome. And so Samuel, naturally, when he went to Jesse's house, was looking for the same things. And so when the first son came, oh, wow, okay, this has to be the one. And God says, no. God looks at people differently. You tried it your way, it didn't work. Now you're going to do it my way. So finally, all the sons were done, and then you know the story. Samuel asks Jesse, is that all? And Jesse says, ah, oh, yeah, okay, one more boy. He's working in the field. And Samuel says, bring the boy. And so now, verse 12, so Jesse sent and had his youngest son brought in. The Lord said to Samuel, go appoint him because he is the one. I can imagine Samuel, huh? Did I hear right? This guy doesn't have muscles. This guy is young. Tousled hair. Smelt of sheep. 
But so Samuel, in obedience, verse 13, took the container of olive oil, poured it on Jesse's younger son to appoint him in front of his brothers. From that day on, the Lord's Spirit worked in David. First king, Saul, wasted potential. Second king, David, was a different person. Okay? In fact, he was probably the most successful king of Israel. So much so, when you read through the book of Kings, you read through the book of Cor the two chronicles in the scriptures. Every king that came after David was measured up against him. Was measured up against. They would say so and so was not like his father David. So and so was like his father David. David became became the measuring yard of all the kings that came after. Not just. His wasn't wasted potential, but fulfilled potential. What made him different? What made him different to Saul? Three things. Number one, there was a resigned patience. David was anointed the way Saul was anointed. Saul, immediately after he was anointed, he stepped into the position of his, as king. Immediately. One day he was the, of the smallest tribe and the smallest family in that smallest tribe. The next day he was king of Israel. David was anointed and declared to be the next king, but he didn't take up his kingship for decades because Saul was still king. And David, although he knew that God had chosen him, appointed him, and God had rejected Saul, never pressured Saul to give up the throne. He even had opportunities to kill Saul. His followers, David had a band of followers when he was running from Saul, because Saul was trying to take his life. And when he was a, 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 um, a fugitive, he had an opportunity one day to kill Saul, because he was hiding in a cave, and Saul happened to pick that cave to come in to rest. And Paul was fast, exhausted Paul. Saul was fast asleep in the cave. And his men told him, look, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. Take the knife, kill him. You will be king. This man has given you nothing but misery for years. This is your opportunity. God has delivered him into your hands. Sounded good. Sounded plausible. Because... Wasn't he the one that God had already appointed and God had said, I rejected this man. So God has now delivered him into my hands. And then the man said, okay, I know, I know you. His followers said, I know you. I know you're a good man, upright man. You won't want to kill. So give me the knife. I will do it for you. Even better. I guess somebody has to do the dirty job. But you know what David said? Far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord. I would not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Wow. He was willing to wait because he knew that God's calling on him was sure. That's what the Bible tells us. That his calling and his gifts are irrevocable. And God, he knew that God's calling on him is sure it will come to pass, but it will come to pass in God's timing. I will not force it to happen. 
resigned patients. Sometimes that's what needs to happen. We hear somebody speak something over our lives. We get very excited. We want it to happen now. Now. <coughs> but that may not be God's timing. We know God's plan, but we don't know His timing. God has a timing for everything, church. When to step up. When to step back. There is a timing for everything. And to find our purpose, we cannot force things to happen. It has to happen on God's time. Number two. Was David a perfect king? No, he wasn't. There were times he did things that were not right. Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 51. After he committed the most heinous crime by taking another woman, another man's wife because he lusted after her, sleeping with her, getting her pregnant, and then cunningly devised to get rid of her husband by putting the husband in front, in the front, the front line of a wall so that the husband would get killed. And he thought, well, I'm king, I can do what I want. He reached that point, and then God caught up with him. The prophet Nathan told him in his face, You have sinned. You are the man that have done these things. And then the Bible tells us that David broke down. His heart crushed to a million pieces. And he began this... I mean, when he poured himself out before the Lord, it was a penitent response. He was repentant. He wasn't arrogant like Saul. When Saul disobeyed God, when God said, kill the Amalekites, and he didn't, he spared the king. And then he comes and he puts burnt offering and he offers to God for the victory. This is all religion. Huh? We sang just now that we should get rid of our religion. This is religion. He, just, he, he went through the motions of offering sacrifice and Samuel had to come to him and say, obedience is better than sacrifice. The sacrifice means nothing without the obedience. When he saw the witch of Endor, he wasn't repentant. But David, he broke before God. That's what, these are the things that prepare us for greater things. When somebody comes and tells you something in your life, that is not in alignment to God, instead of being defensive, instead of getting angry with the person, instead of saying, okay, this person is now my vowed enemy, you know that this was the voice of God through somebody. And you break before God. And said, I'm sorry. I messed up. I am sorry I messed up. 
but your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. That's what made David different because he was humble. He wasn't proud. And so God did not oppose him. But God gave him grace. And God lifted him and exalted him. The third thing, there was a relentless pursuit of God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was, and he himself wrote in the Psalms, he was like a deer, a heart, a deer that longs for water, the streams of water, and it goes around looking for it because it's thirsty. It wants to drink and drink deep. And David was that kind of a man when it came to God. And the people who are like that are the people who would find purpose. Because their purpose is in God. It's in nothing else. Some of us give ourselves completely to our business. Give ourselves completely to our jobs. Give ourselves completely to our families. Give ourselves completely to the pursuit of sports and games and all of that. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in itself. But real purpose, real meaning... It's only found when you give yourselves completely to the pursuit of God. Then you find it. Then you find it. There are two most important days of your life. What are the two most important days? Next, please. What are the two most important days of your life? The first one is obvious. The day you were born. You know, you won't have a life to talk about, right? Am I right? If I say two most important days of your life, you must have a life first. So that's the first, the most important day of, one of the most important days of your life is the day you were born. And the second, the day you find out why. The two most important days. The day you were born and the day you find out why. Many of us have done the first, but we have not discovered the second important day. We have not discovered why you were born. You only find out why you were born the moment you come to Jesus. God's purpose has already been written for us before we were born. Read the scriptures. You'll find it there. God told the prophet Jeremiah, before you were born, I already knew you in your mother's womb and I've already appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. God's, and Paul declared the same thing. When Paul says to the Galatians, God appointed me to be an apostle. He chose me before I was born. And he appointed me to be an apostle to the Gentile world. It wasn't that Paul stepped into it by accident. God had purposed already for this man, Paul, and I want you to declare over your life as well what has been spoken to you, what God has impressed on you when you have been doing quiet time and all of this and sometimes you push it away because you tell yourself, no, I'm not made for this. No, this is ridiculous. No, this is so difficult. No, I'm not comfortable with this. There are better people than me. I want you to remember Proverbs 18.21. Words kill. Words give life. In the tongue, there's the power of life and death. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. If you choose to say, no, cannot, impossible, I don't like, I, this is not what I want, 
then it becomes poison. So what are the take-homes today as we end this series? There are just four, okay? Number one, discover God's call over you. Do you know what God's will is for you? It is crucial for living the purposeful life, knowing God's call. It will require you to chase and run after God. It will require you to do that. If you're going to sit down and wait for God to stop for you, you're missing the point. If you're going to stop and wait for God to come to you, you're missing the point. Because listen, I've got news for you. God has already come for you when He sent His Son, Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross and died for you. That was God running after you. It's your turn to run after Him now. It's your turn. It will require boldness to step out of your comfort zone. No, 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 but I'm comfortable with this job. No, 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 I'm comfortable doing this. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do this. Why should I? You know how much, how inconvenient this is? You know how comfortable it is for me right now? We have not been saved to be comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for Paul to become the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, I was trained in everything Jewish, a Hebrew of a Hebrew. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a person who knew the scriptures from back to front. I learned under Gamaliel. Come on. You know, when, when, when the Jews talk about the Gentiles being answered, it's almost with disdain. <coughs> Remember David when he faced Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That was how they thought about the Gentiles. God, wouldn't it be better for you to send Peter? He's just a fisherman. He doesn't know any better. He swears. He used foul language. He's just like the others. Send him. He'll be more comfortable with them. I'm sending you. Paul, yes, I know you're Hebrew. I know your pedigree. But you are the one I have appointed. Step out of your comfort zone. God may call you to step out. God, I'm not saying God may call you. God is calling you to step out of your comfort zones. Sometimes, some of us, we know what God has called you to do. But we have slipped into a lifestyle that is comfortable. And we don't want to mess that up. Listen. Your comfortable lifestyle will end up with you being statistics for wasted potential. You get that? You become part of the statistics for wasted potential. If you stick to a comfortable lifestyle, it will require determination to pursue God's call. You must be determined. You must resolve in the heart, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to run after God. I will be determined no matter what happens to me. Because, listen, starting well is good. But finishing strong is better. Saul started well. But that's not enough. 
The goal is to finish strong. Number two, keep God at the center of your life. You will, will you make mistakes? Oh, yes. Have I made mistakes? Oh, yes. Have I stumbled? Yes. Have I hurt myself? Oh, yes. But when it happens, I've learned to go back to God. I know that God doesn't reject me because I fell. God doesn't say, don't come to me, I don't talk to you. God doesn't do that. He's waiting. You take one step to him, he takes a hundred steps to you. That's how he is. When the prodigal son left the house, the Bible says the father waited every day for the son to return. And the moment the father saw the son from afar off, the Bible says, the father ran to his son. So you may make a mistake when you stumble. Don't say, okay, God has given up on me. I've messed up and there's no, play, no way back for me. That is not the faith that I understand. My faith isn't like that. My faith teaches me that my God is gracious. My God is merciful. He's ever loving. He doesn't count my sins against me. He's forgiving. My, my faith teaches me that my God is the God of the second chance. That's my God. So I learn to dust myself off, pick myself up, and continue running after God's intended purpose for me. You will face doubters and others who will try and keep you from running ahead. Because they don't want you to go ahead of them. Don't know. What for you need to go to church? Come lah, we got this thing, we, 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 we do it lah. There are many people, even in the church, that doesn't want you, what for you have a prime thing? Come on. What for you do this? You, you're going to make us look bad. There will be people who will try and stop you from running ahead. Keep God at the center of your life. Pursue after God. Sometimes there are opportunities for greatness. Listen carefully, yeah? There are opportunities for greatness. But this opportunities for greatness is often, are often what keeps us small. Because we want greatness. And that opportunities come and we think that it's God's door. Opportunities for greatness. But often opportunities for greatness are what keeps us small. There's a promotion. But I know if I take this promotion, I will have to sacrifice. I can't do a lot of things. I won't be able to be involved. My family will see less of me. But I will have a whole more money. I will have opportunities. I will, be, I will be able to talk and meet with people who are influential and maybe learn from them and mold myself after them. And then we put in the little Christian thing. Don't you think that would give me opportunities to do God's work? But we first think of all the other things first. And then we slip this in to justify. Greatness is not what you run after. I'm not saying it's not good. God puts His people in high places, okay? But greatness is not what you run after. 
Keeping God in the center of your life. That's what you run after. God will take care of the rest. God takes care of the rest. Because opportunities for greatness are often the things that keep us small. Number three, revisit what was spoken over you. Draw from your experiences of the past. Because that's what God kept telling the children of Israel. Wasn't I the one who brought you out of Egypt? Wasn't I the one who opened up the Red Sea? Wasn't I the one who fed you in the, in the wilderness? Wasn't I the one who defeated your enemies for you? Draw from your experience. Because God has been working on your behalf. And as you draw from your experience, you revisit what God has spoken to you. Because God's plans for you are the best. Surrender your dreams to God. Submit to His dreams. Because his dreams are far bigger than your dreams. You can never dream a dream big enough for yourself, let me tell you that. Because the Bible says that he does things through us that are far more than what you can think or imagine. Far more. Whatever you can dream of, it's still too small. It's still too small. So when we surrender our dreams, our plans, our desires, and say, okay, Lord, I give this up and I receive yours. You find that you're gonna, you will see things you never thought was possible. And when you revisit what was spoken over you, remember this is very important, never ever compare your calling with another person's. Never do that. That was Saul's problem. Why for me only... Saul has healed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Everyone has a different calling. Why do I have three talents? The other fellow has five. Why I have only one talent? The fellow has three, the fellow has two, the fellow has five. I, I, I bury my talent. Don't compare. God has given you enough so that you find not just fulfillment, but so that you discover that there is more. So that you discover that there are far greater things and that you're living it, not talking about it. Number four, trust God's timing. Why? Because greater, greater things take time. Before God can work through you, listen, before God can work through you, God needs to work in you. Before God can put me in a place where He can use me in a great way, He needs to work on me first because I'm not ready. Don't get impatient. Don't run ahead of God. Impatience short-circuits what God is doing in me. When I'm impatient, that's what I do. I short-circuit what God is doing in me. Divine preparation includes testing. It includes trials. And I want to just say this, church. When things are spoken over you, the enemy is listening in. And the enemy is listening in. And the enemy knows, okay, I will ensure this doesn't happen. And the enemy will use what God is doing to turn you against God. God has appointed you for greater things. The devil knows that. He will thwart it. He will do anything in his power 
to detract you, to get you off the rails. He will bring people into your life that will let you down. He will get church people to let you down. The church. He will get people to betray you. You would pray so hard and still lose money and you wonder, Lord, what happened? I, I've, been, I've been faithful. But it's not the Lord. Sometimes the Lord allows it to happen. It may be your preparation. Because God is good all the time. But it's the enemy. Listen. God appoints you. The devil, he, he brings stuff into your life so that you lose your appointment and you become disappointed. You become disappointed. So you lose your appointment, you lose your purpose, you lose your calling because of stuff that happened. Don't allow the enemy to disappoint what God has appointed. Amen? Come on, church. You are wired for greater things. Don't ask why that person can do that, but I am not. Maybe you can do far better. You never know, only you have not, never stepped out of your comfort zone. You've never pursued God with all your heart. You've never submitted. You've never surrendered. You're still afraid. What if it doesn't work if I give my all? And it doesn't work. I must have plan B. Listen, when you run after God, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. This morning, if you feel that you have been disappointed, I've lost fulfillment, purpose, meaning, or I've never known my purpose. I'm looking at the church, I'm seeing people and I can tell you God has plans for so many of you. Maybe all of you, but there are certain people. There's a strong calling over your life. But you may have allowed situations to drag you down. And instead of feeling excited to pursue your appointment, you have become disappointed. Tell the enemy what Jesus told the enemy. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. Get out. I don't need to listen to you. I'm not like the others. I'm not like the crows. I was made for better. I was made for better.